0: You know, one of my favorite places for our camp, our family to camp is in Brown County State Park. I'm sure that many of you have been there. If you're a camper, um, there's a particular campground called Taylor Ridge that's just really, really special. I've been to a lot of campgrounds in my life and Taylor Ridge is really unique. And the reason is, is because it's well-named. It's on a ridge. And that means that every campsite Uh, backs up to a fairly significant ravine. So every campsite generally has a really good view. But what I love about Brown County State Park, and particularly Taylor Ridge State Park, is as you're driving up, because it's on a ridge, there are openings that face west and openings that face east. So because you're above the tree line, there's incredible vistas on either side, no matter which way you're looking. But it also allows you to experience either a sunset or a sunrise. There's vistas on either side. And one of the things that I love doing is watching sunsets, but I'm actually a sunrise guy. I think sunsets are great, but I'd rather go to a sunrise than a sunset. How many of you would say, yeah, I'm a sunrise person? Whoo, not many of us, okay. (laughs) How many of you are sunset people? Okay, all right, you win, fine, good enough. However, there's a Bible reference about being a sunrise guy. Here we go. Psalm 130 (laughs) that says this. Oops, sorry, let me back up. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I love that concept of being a watchman a watchman, because I think it, it might transform how you think about waiting. Eugene Peterson, in his book, *A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, writes this, the words wait and hope are connected to the image of a watchman waiting through the night for the dawn. The connection provides important insights for the person in trouble who cries out, but surely there is something for me to do. The answer is yes, there is something for you to do. Or more exactly, there is someone you can be. Be a watchman. I love that. Take note of that. There's someone that you can be. Be a watchman. That's important because when we think about this subject of waiting, and that's what we're exploring during the Advent season, how you think about yourself has a direct impact on how you approach waiting. When we were looking at the book of Isaiah, I suggested to you that there's a very big difference of how you think about waiting as it relates to being in the BMV versus being a groom waiting for a bride to come down the aisle. Who you are in the moment matters. And some of us, we tend to think of our spiritual lives more like we're in the BMV. This is so annoying, why won't God help me out? I took a number, everyone else is getting in front of me. Why does this take so long? How come I need so many documents? Why in the world do you need to know all this information? If you work for the BMV, it's gotten a lot better. I'm not throwing you under the bus, but what I'm saying is there's a, there's a perspective about that versus I'm a groom and I'm waiting for the bride. This idea of who you are in the story is really important, especially as we look at Psalm 27, and today we're looking at the subject of trust. Last week we looked at truth from Psalm 40. We saw that the psalmist said I waited, and I waited, and I waited for the Lord. I challenge you to consider that waiting means, yeah, there's a lot you don't know. It's true, but there's a lot you do know about God. There's a lot you don't know about your life. That's right, you're waiting. But the question is whether or not you're going to think just about all the things that you don't know or the things that you want to know or the things that you're frustrated that you can't know or whether or not you're going to know what you know. You can't buy manna in bulk. That was last week. The first step is knowing what's true. Okay, what do I know? What do I know? What do I know? Here's the second step. The second step is living on what you know it's one thing to know it it's another to live on that particular truth and that's where the word trust comes in it's one thing to know every day from the east the sun rises it's one thing to know that it's another to get out a lawn chair sit down and to watch it or to be a watchman So Psalm 27 is a very practical psalm and I want to make this as applicable in your life as I possibly can so that when you find yourself in a a situation where you're waiting, what do you do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I want to suggest to you there's four steps that you should take. In fact, I'm going to put it in an acrostic with the word fast. When you're waiting What should you do fast? Here's what you should do. You should focus, you should adore, you should seek, and you should trust. So the next time you find yourself waiting and feeling a little bit frustrated, remember this. I need to focus, I need to adore, I need to seek, and I need to trust. Let me walk you through each of these, and hopefully these will be a help to you very practically in whatever situation that you find yourself waiting for. So first, focus. I think one of the hardest things when we're waiting is the way in which whatever you are waiting for can occupy a lot of mental energy. Quite frankly, it can take over your brain. It can take over your life. It can become an obsession. Think of the last time you were stuck in traffic and you're like, what is going on? What You're looking around, you're checking your phone, like why, what, what is the, and then you drive by whatever it was, and you're like, that was it? <laughs> That's what we were all waiting for? Or if you're a parent, you know your three least favorite words on a car trip are how much longer, or the four least favorite words Are we there yet? (laughs) Becomes an obsession. Things like this that run through your mind when you're waiting. What's going on? Why is this taking so long? I was ordering food last night and like they were making all the food and I'm in a line and I'm thinking, where is the person who's supposed to be checking us out? And then why isn't there somebody there? Don't they see we're all lined up? And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm standing right next to my son. Like who cares about that? Like, what about this? And you can be so focused on the system is broken. The things aren't in place. Like, why isn't it made a cash register? I don't want to wait. Like, hello. I'm like, with a family member, and I'm waiting. This is awesome. Who cares if I don't pay quickly? You see, it can occupy our minds and our hearts. Or maybe this phrase runs through your heart. I, I haven't heard anything yet. This must, this must mean X. And you begin to develop a narrative. I, I've got to figure out what's going on or What have I done wrong that I can't get an answer? When you're in that frame of mind, it is easy to be singularly focused on what you don't know or what you don't have. Remember the word waiting, by definition in the Hebrew, the word kava means to look forward to, to anticipate, to welcome the arrival of something. And in the same way that waiting means that I long for something to happen, waiting also involves an intentional rehearsing of what I know to be true. So waiting is the way in which we make our way toward trust. I may not know what I know, but I have to learn to live on what I know about God. So look at Psalm 27, here's what happens. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Notice in verse one, there are important affirmative statements. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord, is the stronghold of my life. So when he says the Lord is my light, it's important for you to understand that darkness in the Bible is associated with disorder and evil and confusion. Darkness can be overwhelming. Perhaps you've found a situation in your life at some point in time and you even said this, man, this feels really dark. What it means is I don't see a path forward. It feels overwhelming. And in fact, we see that David even says this when he uses the words fear and afraid. What's more, this is a particular kind of fear or a kind of anxiety because verses two and three make it clear it's not just hard circumstances, it's hard people. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, that phrase, eat up my flesh, you could think of it how we say man he roasted him. The eat at my flesh is a phrase that refers to verbal assaults, slanderous words. What's more it appears that whatever's happening has been multiplied In verse three, he describes it as an army that's encamping against him. So it's not just a verbal assault by a singular person, but if we've got the text right, it's by a verbal assault of many people So if we just pause here for a moment, realize what's happening, and maybe you can relate to this, that this is not just a hard situation, which would require waiting in any particular situation, but in particular, what he has in mind here is the kind of waiting for personal vindication when people are saying or doing evil things. He's talking about waiting for vindication, in particular, from slander. If you know what that's like, that's particularly hard. David turns his focus then instead to who the Lord is. Rather than focusing his energy on the hard, the painful, or the scary circumstances, rather than doing kind of the research on they're saying what, or what's happening here, what's going on here, and trying to figure out all the dynamics, you could spend all kinds of energy figuring out. And you know what? If someone's talking about you, you won't be able to get them to stop. So, where does he go? He goes to who the Lord is. Notice, the Lord is my light. It's not just that the Lord provides light. No, no. The idea is the Lord is the light. He's the one who changes everything. Darkness is dispelled by the presence of the Lord. It's like when, a po- when the power goes out and you find a flashlight and you're like, woo! got a flashlight. Why? Because that flashlight's going to change everything. That's the idea, that you possess the Lord. The Lord is my light. Another thing, the Lord is my salvation. It's not just about deliverance, but it's about the fact that the Lord can dispel the darkness and he's able to rescue his people. The Lord is the one who. Entering into this dark place can help show me what to do. He can be my help. He can be my comfort. The Lord is my salvation. He can rescue me. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The idea is a refuge that you can run into, a place of safety, a place when you feel emotionally insecure, a welcome refuge from the storms of life. So when I read Psalm 27, it's kind of easy to focus my attention on words like light and salvation and stronghold and don't get me wrong those are really important words but the main point is not light salvation and stronghold the main point is the lord so you could invert the sentences and they could sound like this my light is the lord my salvation is the lord my stronghold is the lord So here's the first step that I wanna encourage you with that when you're struggling to wait, when you don't know, when you want to know and you begin to obsess about the fact that you don't know and you're thinking and researching and talking and spending all the time sort of spinning inside of your soul and you're literally driving yourself crazy, what you need in that moment is to be reminded who the Lord is. And not just to know what you know about the Lord, but to rehearse what you know about the Lord. I wanna encourage you to take your fears and your frustrations and your despair, all of which are created in the waiting, and I want you to flood the zone of your anxiety with what the Lord is like. What does that look like? Here's what I'm suggesting. You begin to take the passages of the Bible that describe who the Lord is, and for some of you, this is your assignment. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, Your quiet time simply needs to look like rehearsing what the Lord is like. For example, Psalm 18 The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He's my God. He's my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. Why is David doing that? Because he needs it. He's scared. He's overwhelmed. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So what I did in my research is I went through and I searched the book of Psalms for all of the Lord is statements. And I think there's like 37 different the Lord is statements. And later on tonight at my blog site, I'll post this list. And then tomorrow we'll also post it on our church blog site so that you can be able to use this list and some of you the way that you need to wait right now is to stop thinking and obsessing about what you're waiting it's important it's a big deal it's hard it's painful I get that I'm there with you but the solution is to be reminded the Lord is my light and my salvation the Lord is the stronghold of my life The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. And in your prayer time, it needs to sound as practically as this. God, you are my shepherd. God, you are near to the brokenhearted. You are righteous in all your ways. God, you are kind in all your works. You need to be loaded up with that kind of focus because the rest of your day is going to be spent having to battle a refocusing of your mind on the thing that you don't have. So you can sit in the BMV or in a traffic jam and think about how unfair it is that people get in front of you and how much you need to do. You can could, you could do that. You can think of all the things that you don't have or you can stake your claim on the truth of what you know to be true about God. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. So the first step is Focus. Focus, focus, change my focus, focus my mind and heart. Here's the second thing, and that is to adore. In this step, it moves from just thinking and rehearsing to allowing the truth of God's word to push into the emotional sections of our life. So waiting is emotionally challenging, isn't it? We can have feelings that are so strong Sometimes they're not even very rational. What we feel becomes true to us. And you move toward trust by eclipsing the hard emotions associated with waiting as you adore and worship your God. Look at verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David rehearses here what he really loves. He's he's pushing his heart, He's, he's dragging his heart and pointing it another direction. The words beauty and inquire are really important. The word beauty is the Hebrew word that's connected to favor and graciousness and pleasantness. The idea is when I'm in God's presence, I see and I behold his favor and his grace. Think of it this way. Another word might be the word glory. And in the Bible, the word glory has weightiness to it in the sense that when God's glory comes, everything else is displaced by this beautiful glory. I'll give you an illustration. When a bride walks down the aisle, everyone stands and turns and we behold the glory of the bride. The glory of the bride takes over. It'd be strange if you see a bride coming down the aisle and you're like, That's some great stain on the laminate beams. (laughs) I wonder what's for lunch. The glory of the bride, it takes up the space of emotion in the room. That's what it's designed to do. And so, too, the glory of God is meant to take up space in your soul to inquire, has the idea of intentional effort to examine and to seek after God. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, says this, I'll contemplate God's beauty, I'll study at his feet. That's good. This is the environment where your heart is more inclined to worship God, more inclined to adore him. So just think with me for a moment, where is that place for you? Where is your heart most inclined to connect emotionally with truth that you know, things that you're believing, and it moves you? What is that? Where is that? How does that happen for you? All of us need to discern how that takes place. Surely it happens on Sunday mornings as we sing together and we hear other people around us singing. We receive God's word and we take the Lord's Supper together. It happens when we spend time in the Word. It happens perhaps when you memorize or meditate on a passage, or perhaps you're listening to a particular favorite song that just ministers to your soul. I don't know what it is about the woods, but for me, man, I meet with God unusually when I'm walking in the woods all by myself. I need a regular rhythm of walking in the woods so that I know what I know, so I feel what I know. That's why the absence of God's people gathering together ends up affecting you. It's not just that you can read the Bible on your own, you should do that, but you need other people around you encouraging you, exhorting you to help move you to adoration. Maybe for some of you it's a quiet time of reflection in silence or a particular friend who's unusually good at encouragement and you know just the sound of their voice and the word of God coming through them is a balm to your soul that pushes you upward. My point is this. You need to figure out what your melody line is for worshiping God. It's not the same for every person. But one of the strategies for not wasting your waiting is knowing what helps you worship. And notice David's practical response. Verse five, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up. Lift me high rather upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You see what he's doing? He's in a hard place, but he's focused on who God is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's adoring God. One thing I want. What is the one thing that I want? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire In his temple. Here's David. He's singing. I have a playlist on my phone that's entitled Morning Mercies. It's a selection of songs that God just unusually uses to speak to my soul. And when I'm struggling to wait on the Lord, those are the songs that I play over and over and over and over. You need to know this isn't just an Old Testament concept. The writer of Hebrews instructs Christians who are facing concerning threats in their lives. In the book of Hebrews, he says this, that we're to look to Jesus, considering him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we will not grow weary or faint-hearted. We are to consider Jesus, to consider Jesus, to consider Jesus, to consider Jesus. So here's my question. Are you waiting? How do you move to trust you focus your attention on the character of God, and then you allow that content, that regular rehearsing of who he is, to move your affections towards something greater than what you feel in the moment. You feel frustrated, I understand. It's not enough to tell yourself, stop being frustrated. That'll frustrate you. You need something bigger to come in the room. Some bigger reality to eclipse the frustration. Something bigger like the Lord is my light and I'm gonna sing my way all the way through this annoying traffic jam. The Lord is my stronghold so I can be okay when I'm misunderstood because God, you know me better than I know me and I live for you in your glory. One thing I've asked and that is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Not one thing I have asked to be popular Or well-spoken of. You see, you have to worship while you wait. So focus, adore, third, seek. Some of us think that waiting means that we're not doing anything. Well, the fact of the matter is, every time that you're waiting, you are doing something. Your mind is racing about how annoying waiting is. You are very active. Waiting is not passive. And in fact, what we see in, in, in Psalm 27 is that in verses 10 or 7 through 12, there are no less than 10 requests. So it's not as though he waits and doesn't lead in. No, on the contrary, David is incredibly aggressive in his praying. Look at what he says in verse seven seven through 12. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Notice that if you have family difficulties. You're not alone. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. So did you hear the 10 requests? Here they are. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, verse seven. Be gracious to me, verse seven. Answer me, verse seven. Hide not your face from me, verse nine. Turn not your servant away in anger, verse nine. Cast me not off, verse nine. Forsake me not, verse nine. Teach me your way, O Lord, verse 11. Lead me on a level path, verse 11. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, verse 12. Don't you for a moment think that waiting isn't active. He's leaning in, but the difference is, and this is so incredibly important, he's waiting on the Lord. He's not waiting on his ingenuity. He's not waiting on his intelligence. He's not waiting on his power. He's not waiting on his strength. And that's the problem with waiting. It is that we have to release our expectations of what we're going to do. And God uses seasons of waiting to welcome us into what he is going to do. And that's why it's so hard. We're not in control. So we talk to the one who is in control. We don't know. So we talk to the one who does know. Again, Eugene Peterson says this, hoping does not mean doing nothing. It's not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It's not compelled to work away, to keep up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It's opposite. It's the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations of scurrying and worry. So don't make the mistake that worry means you, or that waiting, rather, means that you are doing nothing. If we're honest, what waiting means, usually, is that you're not able to do what you want to do. And yet, biblical waiting is very active, very intentional. It seeks the Lord. Waiting reminds us, who we are really seeking. So if you find yourself in a position of waiting today, brother or sister, can I invite you? Lean in. If you're a Christian, you know you can trust Jesus, right? I mean, listen, friend, he... He rescued you from your sin. He called you out. He was gracious and kind to you. God knit together a perfect plan that in the moment between Good Friday and Easter seemed like it was a disaster. And yet God has an unbelievable ability to take things that look like a mess and turn them into glory. God has an ability to take things that are confusing and use them for your good. So just because you can't see the whole story, don't you dare think and believe the narrative that there isn't a story. God is writing it. He's writing it right now. But we need to wait, focus, adore, seek. We then arrive at our destination, which is to trust. This is where all of this leads. Waiting involves taking what we know and living on it. That's trust. That's how you came to faith in Christ. you're a Christian, that you you, you heard the good news that God is holy and you're not, that Jesus saves and Christ could be your life if you put your trust in Jesus. So you You trusted in Jesus. If you're here today you're not yet a Christian, we'd love to have you become a follower of Jesus today, not just to be a part of our church family, but so that, friend, you could know why God created you and how much he loves you and how to rescue you from you and to give you an identity that you crave and won't find anywhere else except in a relationship with Christ. And when that peace gets in, To your heart and life, it doesn't mean that everything in life makes sense, but it means you have a way to think about life in a way that God designed. So look at verse 13. Notice where David goes. This is where I want you to go. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Some of you need to memorize that. It needs to be on your refrigerator, the dashboard of your car, maybe your, your phone. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is an affirmation that David believes he's going to see the goodness of the Lord. And this isn't just a promise to be embraced in the future. It's a bold confession of trust right now. Like I believe now, right now, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David may not know the future, but he knows who holds the future. David may not see how something is going to be good, but he knows that God is good. And so therefore, we come to the conclusion in verse 14. Here it is. Wait for the Lord. He says, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let me take you back to Brown County. Imagine that you want to watch the sunrise. Maybe you're a sunrise person like I am. You have this great idea. One year we went to the Grand Canyon and I had this great idea that we would all go and see the sunrise on the first day of the year in the Grand Canyon. It was awesome, except there was seven inches of snow on the ground and it was like at 5.30 in the morning. I reminded my kids, I paid for this trip, you're going to come with me, you're going to do this. So here we are. Be cold and happy, this is a great trip, it's a family memory. We saw the sunrise, at least a few of us did. Um, So imagine you're going to do a sunrise and you have this idea of what this is going to be like, and you think, oh, we're going to watch the sunrise, it's going to be awesome. Everybody's going to be happy, be warm blankets and hot cocoa and cinnamon rolls. And so you do all of the work because you want to have this family event to, 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 to watch the sunrise. But. Suddenly you realize, oh no, there, there aren't enough blankets for everybody, and not everybody's a morning person, and who forgot the creamer? My goodness, you can't have non-creamed hot coffee or cocoa, and the Cinnamon rolls are terribly underbaked and as you're getting all the stuff out of the car, you're frustrated. Then you're gonna meet your friends at the site and they're late and they're not gonna make it and the kids are a little fussy and so you're so so busy preparing and organizing and you're frustrated about the cinnamon rolls and the hot coffee that isn't hot and the cocoa and you're frustrated about the blankets and you fail to remember, why are we here? The sun is coming up. Let's just all sit on wet grass for a moment, put our coffee aside, and realize that there's something bigger going on here than all of the things that we want or the image of what I had in my head. The sun is coming up. And if we're so busy organizing and details and setting things up the way that we want, we'll miss the beauty of the sunrise rising in the east. Some of us need some encouragement. Have a seat, brother. You're gonna miss the sunrise. It's okay if the blankets aren't right. It's okay if you don't know when your friends are gonna arrive. It's all right if the coffee isn't perfect. It's okay if the environment isn't exactly the way that you wanted. The sun is coming up over the horizon. And so let's just take a moment and focus and behold and from a spiritual standpoint to seek the Lord and to trust Him. Waiting means that you trust the truth that you know. So wait for the Lord. Be strong, Christian. Let your heart take courage. Wait, wait for the Lord. Lord Jesus, you know the condition of every single person who is hearing this message today and you know their lot their place, the hardship. And Lord I just I believe there's a bunch of people who just simply need to stop missing the sunrise of your glory. So Lord, we know the sun rises in the east. We know your glory is unbelievable, but for some of us, we have missed what it means to live in the beautiful glow of that reality. So right now, would you help us to wait? To wait and be happy. To wait and trust. To wait as we hope.